If you turn with me to the scripture passage on which today's teaching is based, it comes from Haggai chapter 2. The text is also printed in your bulletins on page 8. It's a long passage, so walk with me on this, okay? On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat, In the fold of his garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offered, there is defiled. Now give careful thoughts to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day, from this day on, from this 24th day Of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses, and their, and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is God's word. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Metro. My name is Justin. 
I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if, you, uh, if, you've, if you're new or you're visiting, for the past few weeks we've been going through a sermon series called Living in Light of Kingly Grace. And uh, last week we began the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is a very short book. It's only two chapters long. And uh, last week we uh, went through the first chapter. And this week we're going to be going through the second one. And uh, as you can tell by the scripture reading, we have a lot to cover, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, I have three points for us today. Uh, The first is the calling given. The second is the promises secured. And third is the prophecy fulfilled. First, the calling given, the promises secured, and the prophecy fulfilled. So the first point, the calling given. Chapter 2 is built off of the calling that we received in chapter 1. And if you were here last week, the the calling in chapter 1 was to lay down the idols of our hearts and make God the treasure and priority of our lives. The, The first chapter started with this, and this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The book of Haggai was written 18 years after the Lord rescued the people of Israel out of captivity from the Babylonian Empire, who was the powerhouse of the time, and finally brought them back into their own land. And when the Babylonians uh, first took them, they laid waste to the land, so there was nothing there. The Israelites were coming back to a barren land. They had to start all over. But when they came back, they realized that the first thing they had to build, the most important thing in their lives that they had to build, was the temple of God. The temple of God is important. Not, it's not just a building. It's important because um, it represented God's very presence among the people. That God dwelled among them. That He was there. They built diligently for two years, but after two years, the people, the surrounding people, the the opposition, they understood how important this temple was to them, so they didn't want them to build it. So they attacked them. They brought in uh, spies. They brought in messengers to disrupt what they were doing, and it worked. After two years of faithful building, they were discouraged by all these attacks, by all these discouragements, so they stopped. They stopped, and they turned their focus no longer to the temple of God, but turned it to their own houses. And 16 years later, the book of Haggai was written, and here they are, still building their own houses, while the Lord's house remains a ruin. The Lord says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Again, people were so busy building their houses, seeking their own welfare, they forgot all about the temple of God. What was once so important to them is no longer important to them. People were willing to spend a tremendous amount of time and money building their lives, their careers, their family. But at the end of it all, where were they now? The book of Haggai still says that they had nothing. They had nothing to show for it. In fact, God said through Haggai, you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Those are very powerful words. You're earning wages just so that you can put them in a purse 
with holes in it. All that you've worked for, gone. So what is the Lord calling them to do? The Lord said, come back to me. Come back to building the temple. Come back to making me the focus and treasure of your lives. And things will be different. Things will be different. This has, so, this has such profound meaning in our lives today. In our lives, how much time have we spent building our careers, our families, our relationships, yet everything just falls to the wayside. We put years and years and years into our careers. We work overtime. We forget everything else in our lives. We put so much time and energy into building our jobs, yet at the end of the day, you might lose it in an instant. Or the amount of work that you're putting into it, you don't get nearly the return that you should be deserving. Families, uh, the, the, the world that we live in today, including us personally, we, we want to put all our resources into our children. We want them to go to the best schools. We want them to be well-rounded. We want them to, to play soccer, to play, play baseball, to, to play the cello. We want them to do all these things. Yet, there's no guarantee at the end of the day where they're going to go. In fact, five, ten years down the road, they're going, to be telling, they're going to be telling you that they hate you as parents. Do you remember the first time you told your parents that you hate them? It breaks their heart. I remember the first time I did it. And I know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when Owen, my, my first son, will tell me how much he hates me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'd probably slap him <laughs> or roundhouse kick him so that he never does it again, but he will. He absolutely will. But in all of this, we gain nothing. We're still living our lives. We're still working hard. We're still going nuts over our kids. What is God telling us to do? God's telling us to come back. Come back to him. Start building his house his temple, and everything else will take care of itself. So that's, that's the first point, the calling given. The second is the promises secured. Uh, chapter, two is the, chapter 2 is what benefits come out of finally turning our hearts to the Lord. When we turn our hearts to the Lord, chapter 2 lays out all the things that, that we receive so when the, when the people finally turned from their idols of their hearts and turned to God, when the temple of God finally became the center of their lives, the chapter 2 is divided into three sections, and each of these sections are time-stamped. In fact, all of Haggai is split up into four sections. The first chapter is one section, and in, uh, in chapter 2, we have three sections. If you're taking notes, you can bracket these off. It's chapter 2, 1 through 9, and then 10 through 19, and 20 to 23. There are three sections, and each, in each of these sections, there are three promises for us today. Three promises. I am with you, I will bless you, and I have chosen you. I am with you, I will bless you, and I have chosen you. The first promise, I am with you. If we look at this passage, this is three months after the end of chapter 1. So at the end of chapter 1, the people were, were motivated. They were gung-ho. They started building the temple of God. They were working hard. But then three months have passed, and, and God says to the people, verse 3, Who of you is left 
who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? If you, if you read the, uh, the Old Testament, the first temple of God that, that Solomon built, this thing was magnificent. People from all around the world would come just to gaze on its beauty. It took so much work that, that Solomon hired people, very skilled workers from out of the country, to come in and build it. He got all his resources, lumber, gold, silver from other places in the world to gather it to build this temple. In fact, this temple, the inside was lined with gold. This thing was magnificent. Yet we see here the people now starting to build the second temple of God. And when they saw it, they saw all the glory and the luster that was lacking. This fell so short of the first temple that we see in Ezra, when, when, the, when the foundations of the temple were finally built, there were two groups of people, the, the younger generation who were, who were, pro, they were, they were so happy, they were cheering that finally this, this, this temple was being built, that this temple had been built. But there was another group of people, an older generation, who when they saw this, they saw the first temple, they saw the magnificence of the first temple, but when they saw the second temple, they were weeping, they were crying because they were so disappointed in what they saw. Yet in the midst of all this, what did God say? What was God's encouragement to the people? He said, be strong and work, for I am with you. And do not fear. Be strong and work, for I am with you. Do not fear. He continues to say in verse 9, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, and in this place I will grant peace. What he was saying here is the, the glory of this second temple will be greater than the first. The people thought, how is that possible? Seeing this now, it's not possible. Yet God said it was so. So what does this tell us? This tells us that God, he's not looking at the amount or quality of the work, but rather he's looking at the heart. It's not the amount of work, but it's the authenticity of the heart. And I'm not saying that quality and the work is not important. It is extremely important. But most importantly, what God is looking after is your heart. Is your heart authentic towards Him? Because when that happens, the work and the quality will follow. The presence of God, He will be the one to make the work great. He will be the one to bring this to new heights, to new levels. He is just asking for your heart to be in what you do. My family loves Target. Who doesn't love Target? We love Target. But our children, they love Target even more. Owen loves Target. When he wakes up from a nap, sometimes he says, are we going to Target? Are we going to Target? If he could have a birthday party themed that's Target, he would. And everyone would have to dress in the khakis and the red button-down shirt to get in. And uh, one of the reasons why we lo he loves Target so much is uh, when we first got there, the first few times that we went, we would stop by Starbucks all the time there and uh, get a cake pop for him. This cake, this like $3 cake pop. It's a lollipop that's made of cake. And um, when, when we would give it to him, sometimes I'd ask him, Owen, can I have some of that cake pop? Can I have just a, just a itty bitty bite? Let me just have a small bite. And of course he'd say no. For me, 
I didn't care about the cake pop. I couldn't, I couldn't be swimming in cake pops if I wanted to. I couldn't buy $100 worth of cake pops. But for me, it wasn't about the cake pop. It was about his heart. I wanted to see if his heart... I paid $3 for this thing. I wanted to see if his heart was in it, if he was willing to give me just a little bit of that cake pop. In this passage, the Lord says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. He's saying everything is mine. I have all this stuff already. That's not what I'm after. I'm after your heart. I want your heart. So how does this apply to our lives? You know, many of us, we, we lived our Christian life as we saw in that video. We saw, we, we live our Christian life, and at the end of the day, we're going to be standing there before God, and God says, why should I let you in? Of course. And, um, and what, we're, what many of us are going to say is, Lord, look how much I have done for you. Look at all the work that I have done for you. I've gone to church, church diligently. I've read the Bible. I've been a morally good person. I've evangelized to hundreds of thousands of different people. I even went to seminary for you. Yet what that tells us is that you never wanted to be with God at all. You just wanted something from God. God, when He says that I am with you, He wants to be with His people. And He wants His people to be with Him. And He will give the strength he will give the rest in working. There is freedom when we understand that it's about the heart. You know, at, work, at our workplaces, we're constantly working, right? We put so many hours in. Why? Because we're afraid we're not doing enough. We're afraid that, that there's something more, that someone else is doing more than us, and we're not pulling our weight. We were working endlessly. But here, there is rest. There is freedom. And there is peace. There is peace when we come to God. Jesus says... All who are burdened and tired, come to me and I will give you rest. That's the, that's the first promise, that I am with you. The second promise, I will bless you. And this is uh, the second section in the second chapter. And this is two months after the last promise had, uh, had, uh, had happened. And there's so much packed in this section, but for the sake of time, I'm going to distill it down to verse 14. Whatever they do, God said, whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. Whatever they do, whatever they offer there is defiled. When the people came back from captivity, everything that they did was dirty. It was defiled. It was broken. Whatever they did did not prosper. Why? Because even the seeds that they planted, even the cattle, even the livestock that they were tending to, they were all cursed. It was all defiled. Nothing was coming out of their work. It was like a stink that they could not clean off of them, no matter how many times they took a bath. It was a disease. But what happened? They repented of their ways. They turned to God. They reoriented their hearts and treasured and prioritized God. And the Lord said in verse 19, From this day on, I will bless you. Because you have done this, from this day on, I will bless you. What that means is the people are now clean. The people are, have now access to God. And finally, everything that they do, they've gotten rid of this disease, they've gotten rid of this stink, and now they will prosper. There will be prosperity in what they did. 
How does this apply to us? C.S. Lewis, he has a great quote. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. When we aim at God, when we want God himself, he provides everything else for us. There is nothing that we will lack. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given unto you as well. But if we aim at earth, if we aim at all the earthly things, these things will eventually crumble. We've, some of us have already seen it in our lives. We've spent so much time, we pour so much energy in these things and they're crumbling before our eyes and we get neither. Aim at God and you'll get earth thrown in. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. You will be blessed if we turn to God. Third, the third and last promise, that I, will, I am with you, I will bless you, I have chosen you. There's two themes in the book of Haggai. The first theme is the, the restoration of the temple, which we've uh, talked about. And the second theme is the reestablishment of the kingly lineage of David. King David was the greatest king, one of the greatest kings of all of Israel. He brought the, king, the kingdom into prosperity. He subdued all the, the enemies around him. And God promised him, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. The importance of the, the, the kingly lineage is that back in the day when the king prospered, when the line of the king prospered, the people prospered. Where there was victory for the king, there was victory for the people. But when they were taken out of exile, it seemed like that, that line was broken. There was no king. They had no king. They were at the mercy of the people of Babylon. Yet, the promise of God, I have chosen you. The promise of God, there was this one character. There's one character in our passage today. His name was Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah. When they finally came back into their own land, they needed a king. But the most important thing was finding a king that was in the lineage of David to continue this promise of God, that God had made it, that, that God had made with his people. Was there anyone left? Was there anyone left to continue this lineage? And there was one. His name was Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. And God established Zerubbabel to be his signet ring. In verse 23, he says, On that day, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This was God reestablishing his promise to the people. The significance of this signet ring was that it wielded power, it wielded authority. I don't think anyone nowadays wears a signet ring, but it has um, the emblem of, of the king stamped on it. So anytime a, a document or a decree would come out, the king would wax seal with this ring onto the, the parchment. And now that thing became sacred. It became treasured in all that he did, in all of the land. This was the most important document there was. If you remember, uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, Joseph and Pharaoh, the story of Joseph and Pharaoh made Joseph one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt, Genesis 41, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And Pharaoh said, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. God said, you will be like my signet ring to Zerubbabel. What does that mean? 
that means he was precious, that he was treasured, that he bore the image of God. There were so many attempts to steal this ring that the ring was on the king's person at all times. It was treasured. It was precious. And that is exactly what God was saying of Zerubbabel. What kind of application does that have for us? Zerubbabel was not chosen because of what what he did. In fact, he didn't do anything. God brought him back. It was because of who he was, that he was elevated, that he was chosen. He did absolutely nothing. He accomplished nothing, but it was because of who he was. In that same way, when we turn our hearts to God, we have that promise that we are chosen, that we are accepted, that we are cherished by the king. We are precious in his sight. People are going to challenge you all the time at work, at, the, at, at home. They're going to be talking and gossiping behind your back. But if the king cherishes you, if the king accepts you and loves you, who cares what other people say? You are accepted by the Most High. So those are the three promises. I am with you, I will bless you, and I have chosen you. That leads us to our last point, the prophecy fulfilled. These three promises, this is what happens when we turn our hearts away from other things and we finally turn to God. We secure these things. But what's the issue? Haven't you tried already to do that? Haven't you tried repeatedly over and over to turn your hearts away from these idols and turn to God? Yet, we are constantly working to build our own houses. We are constantly working to build our own careers, our family, our fame, and money. And this is the reason why we are so anxious. We're so depressed. We're so lonely. We're tired. We're overworked. We're anxious because we're afraid of losing all that we've gained, all that we've amassed. We're depressed because it seems like nothing satisfies We try to bring in things to fill this hole in our hearts. Food, money, power, sex, relationships. Yet nothing at the end of the day. We don't seem satisfied. There's always something that we crave. We're lonely because we seek the approval of others. We seek the love of other people. But at the end of the day, when you get this love, you're still craving for more. We're overworked because we keep working No matter how hard you work, it seems like it's never enough. You're never amassing enough for yourself, so you just keep working. You still, you just chug along. You work yourself to the ground. We've tried. We've tried, and we've tried to secure these promises. Some days we feel like we're doing better. Other days we feel like we failed. Where's the hope in that? that if you try harder, you'll get this, but if you fail, you won't. There is no promise in that. So the question is, how are we able to secure these promises for ourselves? In our passage, there's a prophecy of the Lord shaking the heavens and the earth. In verse 6, he says, In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry land. In verse 21, he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And this theme of shaking, it, it goes all over Scripture. This shaking, what it means, it's, it's cleansing. 
When God wants to cleanse the world, He shakes it. There's this image of shaking. When God is angry, it's wrath. When God is angry, He wants to shake the world. It's the presence of God when, when God met Moses at the, top, at the top of Mount Sinai. When he came down in the pillar of cloud, the whole mountain shook. The shaking, it represents a cleansing. It represents wrath. And God says there will be one that comes in our passage today. And in our passage, we also see that shaking is what leads to blessing. Shaking leads to blessing. We see in verse 6 and 7, I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The shaking, it leads to the thing desired by all nations, which then leads to glory filling the house. We see in verse 21 to 23, I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. And on that day, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Shaking leads to victory over the nations. And on that day, he says, on that day, on that day of what? On that day of shaking, Zerubbabel will be chosen. Shaking leads to blessing. This prophecy points to a future time when, when this shaking will break open the promises for all people. 500 years later, there was a shaking. And this shaking, when Jesus Christ was on that cross, Matthew 27, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. This Greek word for shake, it's seo, it's, it means quake, and it's the same Greek word used in the Greek Old Testament. It's the same exact shaking. Haggai was talking about this shaking that was to come, that, was, that would lead to blessing. The cross led to this bursting of promises because one person obeyed and sacrificed. He laid down all things. He treasured the Father above all else with his heart. He never built up his own house. He said, foxes have holes, but he has no place to lay his head. He never built up his house. Rather, he devoted his entire life to the temple of God. He was the temple of God. He was the one who deserved all these promises. In fact, throughout his life, he held on to these promises to sustain him. Yet on the cross, these promises were broken for him. The promise that I am with you, he said on the cross, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. He was forsaken. The promise, I will bless you, 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ became a curse. He was not a blessing, but he was made a curse. And lastly, I have chosen you. He said on the cross, my God, my God. That was the first time in all of his life where he didn't refer to God as his father. My God, my God. But he, what was he saying? He was forgotten. 
He was not chosen, but he was completely forgotten. In God, truly, he did cleanse the world when Christ took on our sin. The disease, Jesus Christ deserved the wrath of God on the cross, and now Christ, through Christ, we are given these promises for us. We are secured these promises. I am with you. Jesus Christ was Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus, right before ascending into heaven, he said, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will bless you. Ephesians 1.3, He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I have chosen you. First Peter says, You are a chosen pre- people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. These three promises, I I am with you, I will bless you, I have chosen you, are now secured to you through Christ. And it is now through Christ that we are declared to be God's signet ring. We are treasured, we are loved, we are cherished. In fact, we are made more and more into the image of God day by day through the Holy Spirit working in our lives. In the call to worship, we saw uh, Hebrews 12 Uh, Not the call to worship, the uh, word of encouragement, Hebrews 12. This passage in Hebrews, it it contrasts two things, things that can be shaken and things that cannot be shaken. These these things that can be shaken are the things of this world. My question to you, friends, is when storms come, what are you holding on to? What's your foundation? What What are you standing on? Is it these things... Is it your family? Is it your career? Is it your own reputation? Is it even your personality or your good looks? As time goes on, these things will crumble. But it is through Christ that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, through these promises that cannot be shaken. Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you burdened? Are you lonely? Are you depressed? Stop trying to work for these fake promises. They don't work for you. They take life from you. Yet when we trust in these promises, when we trust in the work of Christ, these promises are life-giving. Stop trying to work for these things. They're already given to you in Christ. Trust in Jesus and the promises that he has secured for you. And finally, there will be peace in your life. Friends, trust in Jesus. Let's pray.